1: Chapter Fifteen of That Affair Next Door. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording today by Don Larson in Minnesota. That Affair Next Door by Anna K. Green. Chapter Fifteen A Reluctant Witness. A pause of decided duration now followed an exasperating pause which tried even me much as i pride myself upon my patience there seemed to be some hitch in regard to the next witness the coroner sent mr gryce into the neighbouring room more than once and finally when the general uneasiness seemed on the point of expressing itself by a loud murmur a gentleman stepped forth whose appearance instead of allaying the excitement Renewed it in quite an unprecedented and remarkable way. I did not know the person thus introduced. He was a handsome man, a very handsome man, if the truth must be told, but it did not seem to be this fact which made half the people there crane their heads to catch a glimpse of him. Something else, something entirely disconnected with his appearance there as a witness, appeared to hold the people enthralled and waken a subdued enthusiasm which showed itself not only in smiles but in whispers and significant nudges chiefly among the women though i noticed that the jurymen stared when somebody obliged them with the name of this new witness at last it reached my ears and though it awakened in me also a decided curiosity i restrained all expression of it being unwilling to add one jot to this ridiculous display of human weakness Randolph Stone, as the intended husband of the rich Miss Althorpe, was a figure of some importance in the city, and while I was very glad of this opportunity of seeing him, I did not propose to lose my head or forget, in the marked interest his person invoked, the very serious cause which had brought him before us, and yet I suppose no one in the room observed his figure more minutely he was elegantly made and possessed, as I have said, a face of peculiar beauty. But these were not his only claims to admiration. He was a man of undoubted intelligence and great distinction of manner. The intelligence did not surprise me, knowing as I did how he had raised himself to his present enviable position in society in the short space of five years. But the perfection of his manner astonished me though how I could have expected anything less in a man honored by Miss Althorpe's regard, I cannot say. He had that clear pallor of complexion, which in a smooth-shaven face is so impressive, and his voice, when he spoke, had that music in it which only comes from great cultivation and a deliberate intent to please. He was a friend of Howard's that I saw by the short look that passed between them, when he first entered the room but that it was not as a friend he stood there was apparent from the state of amazement with which the former recognized him as well as from the regret to be seen underlying the polished manner of the witness himself though perfectly self-possessed and perfectly respectful he showed by every means possible the pain he felt in adding one featherweight to the evidence against a man with whom he was on terms of more or less intimacy but let me give his testimony having acknowledged that he knew the van Burnham family well and howard in particular he went on to state that on the night of the seventeenth he had been detained at his office by business of a more than usual pressing nature and finding that he could expect no rest for that night, humored himself by getting off the cars at 21st Street instead of proceeding on to 33rd Street where his apartments were. The smile which these words caused, Miss Althorpe lives on 21st Street, woke no corresponding light on his face. Indeed, he frowned at it, as if he felt that the gravity of the situation admitted of nothing frivolous or humorsome, And this feeling was shared by Howard, for he started when the witness mentioned 21st Street, and cast him a haggard look of dismay, which happily no one saw but myself, for everyone else was concerned with the witness, or should I say except Mr. Grice. I had, of course, no intentions beyond a short stroll through this street previous to returning to my home, continued the witness gravely. And am sorry to be obliged to mention this freak of mine, but find it necessary in order to account for my presence there at so unusual an hour. You need make no apologies, returned the coroner. Will you state on what line of cars you came from your office? I came up Third Avenue. Ah, and walked towards Broadway? Yes. So that you necessarily passed very near the Van Burnham mansion? Yes. At what time was this, can you say? at four or nearly four it was half past three when i left my office was it light at that hour could you distinguish objects readily i had no difficulty in seeing and what did you see anything amiss at the van burnam mansion no sir nothing amiss i merely saw howard van Burnham coming down the stoop as i went by the corner you made no mistake it was the gentleman you name and no other whom you saw on this stoop at this hour i am very sure that it was he i am sorry but the coroner gave him no opportunity to finish you and mr van burnam are friends you say and it was light enough for you to recognize each other then you probably spoke no we did not i was thinking well of other things And here he allowed the ghost of a smile to flit suggestively across his firm set lips. And Mr. Van Burnham seemed preoccupied also, for as far as I know, he did not even look my way. And you did not stop? No, he did not look like a man to be disturbed. And this was at four on the morning of the eighteenth. At four. Are you certain of the hour and of the day? I am certain i should not be standing here if i were not very sure of my memory i am sorry he began again but he was stopped as peremptorily as before by the coroner feeling has no place in an inquiry like this and the witness was dismissed mr stone who had manifestly given his evidence under compulsion looked relieved at its termination as he passed back to the room from which he had come many only noticed the extreme elegance of his form and the proud cast of his head but i saw more than these i saw the look of regret he cast at his friend howard a painful silence followed his withdrawal then the coroner spoke to the jury gentlemen i leave you to judge of the importance of this testimony Mr. Stone is a well-known man of unquestionable integrity, but perhaps Mr. Van Burnham can explain how he came to visit his father's house at four o'clock in the morning on that memorable night, when, according to his latest testimony, he left his wife there at twelve. We will give him the opportunity. There is no use, began the young man, from the place where he sat but gathering courage even while speaking he came rapidly forward and facing the coroner and jury once more said with a false kind of energy that imposed upon no one i can explain this fact but i doubt if you will accept my explanation i was at my father's house at that hour but not in it my restlessness drove me back to my wife but not finding the keys in my pocket i came down the stoop again and went away ah i see now why you prevaricated this morning in regard to the time when you missed those keys i know that my testimony is full of contradictions you feared to have it known that you were on the stoop of your father's house for the second time that night naturally in face of the suspicion i perceived everywhere about me and this time you did not go in no nor ring the bell no why not if you left your wife within alive and well i did not wish to disturb her my purpose was not strong enough to surmount the least difficulty i was easily deterred from going where i had little wish to be so that you merely went up the stoop and down again at the time mr stone saw you yes and if he had passed a minute sooner he would have seen this seen me go up i mean as well as seen me come down I did not linger long in the doorway. But you did linger there a moment. Yes, long enough to hunt for the keys and get over my astonishment at not finding them. Did you notice Mr. Stone going by on 21st Street? No. Was it as light as Mr. Stone has said? Yes, it was light. And you did not notice him? No. Yet you must have followed very closely behind him not necessarily i went by the way of twentieth street sir why i do not know for my rooms are uptown i do not know why i did half the things i did that night i can readily believe it remarked the coroner mr van Burnham's indignation rose you are trying said he to connect me with the fearful death of my wife in my father's lonely house you cannot do it for i am as innocent of that death as you are or any other person in this assemblage nor did i pull those shelves down upon her as you would have this jury think in my last thoughtless visit to my father's door she died according to god's will by her own hand or by means of some strange and unaccountable accident known only to him and so you will find if justice has any place in these investigations and a manly intelligence, be allowed to take the place of prejudice in the breasts of the twelve men now sitting before me. And bowing to the corner he waited for his dismissal, and receiving it walked back not to his lonely corner, but to his former place between his father and brother, who received him with a wistful air and strange looks of mingled hope and disbelief the jury will render their verdict on monday morning announced the coroner and adjourned the inquiry end of chapter fifteen end of book one book two the windings of a labyrinth chapter sixteen cogitations my cook had prepared for me a most excellent dinner thinking that i needed all the comfort possible after a day of such trying experiences but i ate little of it my thoughts were too busy my mind too much exercised what would be the verdict of the jury and could this especial jury be relied upon to give a just verdict at seven i had left the table and was shut up in my own room i could not rest till i had fathomed my own mind in regard to the events of the day the question the great question of course now was how much of howard's testimony was to be believed and whether he was notwithstanding his asseverations to the contrary the murderer of his wife to most persons the answer seemed easy from the expression of such people as i had jostled in leaving the court-room i judged that his sentence had already been passed in the minds of most there present but these hasty judgments did not influence me i hope i look deeper than the surface and my mind would not subscribe to his guilt notwithstanding the bad impression made upon me by his falsehoods and contradictions now why would not my mind subscribe to it had sentiment got the better of me amelia butterworth and was i no longer capable of looking things squarely in the face had the Van Burnhams of all people in the world awakened my sympathies at the cost of my good sense? And was I disposed to see virtue in a man in whom every circumstance, as it came to light, revealed little but folly and weakness? The lies he had told, for there is no other word to describe his contradictions, would have been sufficient under most circumstances to condemn a man in my estimation why then did i secretly look for excuses to his conduct probing the matter to the bottom i reasoned in this way the latter half of his evidence was a complete contradiction of the first purposely so in the first he made himself out a cold-hearted egotist with not enough interest in his wife to make an effort to determine whether she and the murdered woman were identical in the latter he showed himself in the light of a man influenced to the point of folly by a woman to whom he had been utterly unyielding a few hours before now knowing human nature to be full of contradictions i could not satisfy myself that i should be justified in accepting either half of his testimony as absolutely true the man who is all firmness one minute May be all weakness the next, and in face of the calm assertions made by this one when driven to bay by the unexpected discoveries of the police, I dared not decide that his final assurances were altogether false, and that he was not the man I had seen enter the adjoining house with his wife. Why, then, not carry the conclusion farther and admit, as reason and probability suggested, that he was also her murderer that he had killed her during his first visit and drawn the shelves down upon her in the second would not this account for all the phenomena to be observed in connection with this otherwise unexplainable affair certainly all but one one that was perhaps known to nobody but myself and that was the testimony given by the clock it said that the shelves fell at five whereas according to mr stone's evidence it was four or thereabouts when mr van Burnham left his father's house but the clock might not have been a reliable witness it might have been set wrong or it might not have been running at all at the time of the accident no it would not do for me to rely too much upon anything so doubtful nor did i yet I could not rid myself of the conviction that Howard spoke the truth when he declared in face of coroner and jury that they could not connect him with this crime, and whether this conclusion sprang from sentimentality or intuition, I was resolved to stick to it for the present night at least. The morrow might show its futility, but the morrow had not come. Meanwhile, with this theory accepted what explanation could be given of the very peculiar facts surrounding this woman's death could the supposition of suicide advanced by howard before the coroner be entertained for a moment or that equally improbable suggestion of accident going to my bureau drawer i drew out the old grocer bill which has already figured in these pages and re-read the notes i had scribbled on its back early in the history of this affair they related, if you will remember, to this very question, and seemed even now to answer it in a more or less convincing way. Will you pardon me if I transcribe these notes again, as I cannot imagine my first deliberations on this subject to have made a deep enough impression for you to recall them without help from me. The question raised in these notes was threefold, and the answers, as you will recollect, were transcribed before the cause of death had been determined by the discovery of the broken pin in the dead woman's brain these are the queries first was her death due to accident second was it effected by her own hand third was it a murder the replies given are in the form of reasons as witness my reason for not thinking it an accident if it had been an accident and she had pulled the cabinet over upon herself she would have been found with her feet pointing towards the wall where the cabinet had stood but her feet were towards the door and her head under the cabinet two the precise arrangement of the clothing about her feet which precluded any theory involving accident my reason for not thinking it a suicide she could not have been found in the position observed without having lain down on the floor while living and then pulled the shelves down upon her a theory obviously too improbable to be considered my reason for not thinking it murder she would need to have been held down on the floor while the cabinet was being pulled over on her a thing which the quiet aspect of the hands and feet make appear impossible very good but we know now that she was dead when the shelves fell over so that my one excuse for not thinking it murder is rendered null. My reasons for thinking it a murder, but I will not repeat these, my reasons for not thinking it an accident or a suicide, remained as good as when they were written, and if her death had not been due to either of these causes, then it must have been due to some murderous hand. Was that hand the hand of her husband?' i have already given it as my opinion that it was not now how to make that opinion good and reconcile me again to myself for i am not accustomed to having my instincts at war with my judgment is there any reason for my thinking as i do yes the manliness of the man he only looked well when he was repelling the suspicion he saw in the surrounding faces but that might have been assumed just as his careless manner was assumed during the early part of the inquiry i must have some stronger reason than this for my belief the two hats well he had explained how there came to be two hats on the scene of the crime but his explanation had not been very satisfactory i had seen no hat in her hand when she crossed the pavement to her father's house but then she might have carried it under her cape without my seeing it perhaps the discovery of two hats and of two pairs of gloves in mr van Burnham's parlors was a fact worth further investigation and mentally i made a note of it though at the moment i saw no prospect of engaging in this matter further than my duties as a witness required and now what other clue was offered me save the one I have already mentioned as being given by the clock, none that I could seize upon, and feeling the weakness of the cause I had so obstinately embraced, I rose from my seat at the tea table and began making such alterations in my toilet as would prepare me for the evening and my inevitable callers. Amelia, said I to myself, as I encountered my anything but satisfied reflection in the glass. Can it be that you ought, after all, to have been called Araminta? Is a momentary display of spirit on the part of a young man of doubtful principles enough to make you forget the dictates of good sense which have always governed you up to this time? The stern image which confronted me from the mirror made no reply, and smitten with sudden disgust, I left the glass and went below to greet some friends who had just ridden up in their carriage. They remained one hour, and they discussed one subject-Howard Van Burnham and his probable connection with the crime which had taken place next door. But though I talked some and listened more, as it is proper for a woman in her own house, I said nothing and heard nothing which had not already been said and heard in numberless homes that night. Whatever thoughts I had which in any way differed from those generally expressed, I kept to myself. Whether guided by discretion or pride, I cannot say-probably both, for I am not deficient in either quality. Arrangements had already been made for the burial of mrs Van Burnham that night, and as the funeral ceremony was to take place next door, many of my guests came just to sit in my windows and watch the coming and going of the few people invited to the ceremony. But I discouraged this. I have no patience with idle curiosity. Consequently, by nine I was left alone to give the affair such real attention as it demanded, something which, of course, I could not have done with a half-dozen gossiping friends leaning over my shoulder. End of chapter 16 Chapter 17 of That Affair Next Door this is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording today by Don Larson in Minnesota. That Affair Next Door by Anna K. Green, Chapter 17, Butterworth vs. Grice. The result of this attention can be best learned from the conversation I held with Mr. Grice the next morning he came earlier than usual but he found me up and stirring well he cried accosting me with a smile as i entered the parlor where he was seated it is all right this time is it not no trouble in identifying the gentleman who entered your neighbor's house last night at a quarter to twelve resolved to probe this man's mind to the bottom i put on my sternest air i had not expected any one to enter there so late last night said i Mr. Van Burnham declared so positively at the inquest that he was the person we have been endeavouring to identify that I did not suppose you would consider it necessary to bring him to the house for me to see. And so you were not in the window? I did not say that. I am always where I have promised to be, Mr. Grice. Well, then, he inquired sharply, I was purposely slow in answering him. I had all the longer time to search his face. But its calmness was impenetrable, and finally I declared, The man you brought with you last night, you were the person who accompanied him, were you not, was not the man I saw alight there four nights ago. He may have expected it. It may have been the very assertion he desired from me, but his manner showed displeasure, and the quick, how, he uttered, was sharp and peremptory. I do not ask who it was I went on with a quiet wave of my hand that immediately restored him to himself, for I know you will not tell me, but what I do hope to know is the name of the man who entered that same house at just ten minutes after nine. He was one of the funeral guests, and he arrived in a carriage that was immediately preceded by a coach, "'from which four persons alighted two ladies and two gentlemen. "'I do not know the gentleman, ma'am,' was the detective's half-surprised and half-amused retort. "'I did not keep track of every guest that attended the funeral. "'Then you didn't do your work as well as I did mine,' was my rather dry reply. "'For I noted every one who went in, and that gentleman, whoever he was, "'was more like the person I have been trying to identify than any one i have seen enter there during my four midnight vigils mr gryce smiled uttered a short indeed and looked more than ever like a sphinx i began quietly to hate him under my calm exterior was howard at his wife's funeral i asked he was ma'am and did he come in a carriage he did ma'am Alone he thought he was alone yes ma'am then may it not have been he i can't say ma'am mr gryce was so obviously out of his element under this cross-examination that i could not suppress a smile even while i experienced a very lively indignation at his reticence he may have seen me smile and he may not for his eyes as i have intimated were always busy with some object entirely removed from the person he addressed, but at all events he rose, leaving me no alternative but to do the same. And so you didn't recognize the gentleman I brought to the neighboring house just before twelve o'clock, he quietly remarked, with a calm ignoring of my last question, which was a trifle exasperating. No, Then, ma'am, he declared, with a quick change of manner meant, I should judge, to put me in my proper place. I do not think we can depend upon the accuracy of your memory, and he made a motion as if to leave. As I did not know whether his apparent disappointment was real or not, I let him move to the door without a reply. But once there I stopped him. Mr. Grice, said I, I don't know what you think about this matter nor whether you even wish my opinion upon it but i am going to express it for all that i do not believe that howard killed his wife with a hat-pin no retorted the old gentleman peering into his hat with an ironical smile which that inoffensive article of attire had certainly not merited and why miss butterworth why you must have substantial reasons for any opinion you would form. I have an intuition, I responded, backed by certain reasons. The intuition won't impress you very deeply, but the reasons may not be without some weight, and I am going to confide them to you. Do, he entreated, in a jocose manner which struck me as inappropriate, but which I was willing to overlook on account of his age and very fatherly manner well then said i this is one if the crime was a premeditated one if he hated his wife and felt it for his interest to have her out of the way a man of mr van Burnham's good sense would have chosen any other spot than his father's house to kill her in knowing that her identity could not be hidden if once she was associated with the van Burnham name if on the contrary he took her there in good faith and her death was the unexpected result of a quarrel between them then the means employed would have been simpler an angry man does not stop to perform a delicate surgical operation when moved to the point of murder but uses his hands or his fists just as mr van Burnham himself suggested humph grunted the detective staring very hard indeed into his hat you must not think me this young man's friend i went on with a well-meant desire to impress him with the impartiality of my attitude i never have spoken to him nor he to me but i am the friend of justice and i must declare that there was a note of surprise in the emotion he showed at sight of his wife's hat that was far too natural to be assumed the detective failed to be impressed I might have expected this, knowing his sex, and the reliance such a man is apt to place upon his own powers. "'Acting, ma'am, acting,' was his laconic comment, a very uncommon character, that of Mr. Howard Van Burnham. "'I do not think you do it full justice.' "'Perhaps not, but see that you don't slight mine. I do not expect you to heed these suggestions any more than you did those I offered you in connection with mrs boppert the scrub-woman but my conscience is eased by my communication and that is much to a solitary woman like myself who is obliged to spend many a long hour alone with no other companion something has been accomplished then by this delay he observed then as if ashamed of this momentary display of irritation he added in the genial tones more natural to him I DON'T BLAME YOU FOR YOUR GOOD OPINION OF THIS INTERESTING, BUT BY NO MEANS RELIABLE, YOUNG MAN, MISS BUTTERWORTH. A WOMAN'S KIND HEART STANDS IN THE WAY OF HER PROPER JUDGMENT OF CRIMINALS. YOU WILL NOT FIND ITS INSTINCTS FAIL, EVEN IF YOU DO ITS JUDGMENT. HIS BOW WAS AS FULL OF POLITENESS AS IT WAS LACKING IN CONVICTION. I HOPE YOU WON'T LET YOUR INSTINCTS LEAD YOU INTO ANY UNNECESSARY DETECTIVE WORK, he quietly suggested that i cannot promise if you arrest howard van Burnham for murder i may be tempted to meddle with matters which don't concern me an amused smile broke through his simulated seriousness pray accept my congratulations then in advance ma'am my health has been such that i have long anticipated giving up my profession but if i am to have such assistance as you in my work i shall be inclined to remain in it some time longer when a man as busy as you stops to indulge in sarcasm he is in more or less good spirits such a condition i am told only prevails with detectives when they have come to a positive conclusion concerning the case they are engaged upon i see you already understand the members of your future profession "'As much as is necessary at this juncture,' I retorted. "'Then seeing him about to repeat his bow, I added sharply, "'You need not trouble yourself to show me too much politeness. "'If I meddle in this matter at all, "'it will not be as your coadjutor, but as your rival. "'My rival?' "'Yes, your rival, and rivals are never good friends "'until one of them is hopelessly defeated.' miss butterworth i see myself already at your feet and with this sally and a short chuckle which did more than anything he had said towards settling me in my half-formed determination to do as i had threatened he opened the door and quietly disappeared end of chapter seventeen chapter eighteen the little Pincushion. the verdict rendered by the coroner's jury showed it to be a more discriminating set of men than i had calculated upon it was murder inflicted by a hand unknown i was so gratified by this that i left the court-room in quite an agitated frame of mind so agitated indeed that i walked through one door instead of another and thus came unexpectedly upon a group formed almost exclusively of the van Burnham family starting back for i dislike anything that looks like intrusion especially when no great end is to be gained by it i was about to retrace my steps when i felt two soft arms about my neck oh miss butterworth isn't it a mercy that this dreadful thing is over i don't know when i have ever felt anything so keenly it was isabella van Burnham. startled for the embraces bestowed on me are few I gave a subdued sort of grunt, which nevertheless did not displease this young lady, for her arms tightened, and she murmured in my ear, You dear old soul, I like you so much. We are going to be very good neighbors, cooed a still sweeter voice in my other ear. Papa says we must call on you soon. And Caroline's demure face looked around into mine in a manner some would have thought exceedingly bewitching thank you pretty poppets i returned freeing myself as speedily as possible from embraces the sincerity of which i felt open to question my house is always open to you and with little ceremony i walked steadily out and betook myself to the carriage awaiting me i looked upon this display of feeling as the mere gush of two over-excited young women and was therefore somewhat astonished when i was interrupted in my afternoon nap by an announcement that the two Mrs. Van Burnham awaited me in the parlor. Going down I saw them standing there hand in hand, and both as white as a sheet. "'Oh, Miss Butterworth!' they cried, springing towards me. "'Howard has been arrested, and we have no one to say a word of comfort to us.' "'Arrested?' I repeated, greatly surprised, for I had not expected it to happen so soon, if it happened at all. Yes, and father is just about prostrated. Franklin, too, but he keeps up, while father has shut himself into his room and won't see anybody, not even us. Oh, I don't know how we are to bear it. Such a disgrace, and such a wicked, wicked shame. For Howard never had anything to do with his wife's death, had he, Miss Butterworth? No, I returned, taking my ground at once and vigorously for I really believed what I said. He is innocent of her death, and I would like the chance of proving it. They evidently had not expected such an unqualified assertion from me, for they almost smothered me with kisses, and called me their only friend, and indeed showed so much real feeling, this time, that I neither pushed them away nor tried to withdraw myself from their embraces. When their emotions were a little exhausted, I led them to a sofa and sat down before them. They were motherless girls, and my heart, if hard, is not made of adamant or entirely unsusceptible to the calls of pity and friendship. Girls, said I, if you will be calm I should like to ask you a few questions. Ask us anything, returned Isabella. Nobody has more right to our confidence than you this was another of their exaggerated expressions but i was so anxious to hear what they had to tell i let it pass so instead of rebuking them i asked where their brother had been arrested and found it had been at his rooms and in presence of themselves and franklin so i inquired further and learned that so far as they knew nothing had been discovered beyond what had come out at the inquest except that howard's trunks had been found packed as if he had been making preparations for a journey when interrupted by the dreadful event which had put him in the hands of the police as there was a certain significance in this the girls seemed almost as much impressed by it as i was but we did not discuss it long for i suddenly changed my manner and taking them both by the hand asked if they could keep a secret secret they gasped yes a secret you are not the girls i should confide in ordinarily but this trouble has sobered you oh we can do anything began isabella and only try us murmured caroline but knowing the volubility of the one and the weakness of the other i shook my head at their promises and merely tried to impress them with the fact that their brother's safety depended upon their discretion at which they looked very determined for poppets and squeezed my hands so tightly that i wished i had left off some of my rings before engaging in this interview when they were quiet again and ready to listen i told them my plans they were surprised of course and wondered how i could do anything towards finding out the real murderer of their sister-in-law but seeing how resolved I looked changed their tone and avowed with much feeling their perfect confidence in me and in the success of anything I might undertake. This was encouraging and ignoring their momentary distrust, I proceeded to say, but for me to be successful in this matter no one must know my interest in it, you must pay me no visits, give me no confidences, nor if you can help it mention my name before any one not even before your father and brother so much for precautionary measures my dears and now for the active ones i have no curiosity as i think you must see but i shall have to ask you a few questions which under other circumstances would savor more or less of impertinence Had your sister-in-law any special admirers among the other sex? Oh, protested Caroline, shrinking back, while Isabella's eyes grew round as a frightened child's. None that we ever heard of. She wasn't that kind of a woman, was she, Belle? It wasn't for any such reason Papa didn't like her. No, no, that would have been too dreadful. It was her family we objected to, that's all. "'Well, well,' I apologized, tapping their hands reassuringly. "'I only asked, let me now say, from curiosity, "'though I have not a particle of that quality, I assure you. "'Did you think, did you have any idea,' faltered Caroline, "'that—' "'Never mind,' I interrupted. "'You must let my words go in one ear and out of the other "'after you have answered them. "'I wish—' "'Here I assumed a brisk air.' That I COULD GO THROUGH YOUR PARLORS AGAIN BEFORE EVERY TRACE OF THE CRIME PERPETRATED THERE HAS BEEN REMOVED. WHY, YOU CAN, REPLIED ISABELLA. THERE IS NO ONE IN THEM NOW, ADDED CAROLINE. FRANKLIN WENT OUT JUST BEFORE WE LEFT, AT WHICH I BLANDLY ROSE AND, FOLLOWING THEIR LEADERSHIP, SOON FOUND MYSELF ONCE AGAIN IN THE VAN BURNA MANSION. My first glance upon re-entering the parlors was naturally directed toward the spot where the tragedy had taken place. The cabinet had been replaced and the shelves set back upon it, but the latter were empty, and neither on them nor on the adjacent mantelpiece did I see the clock. This set me thinking, and I made up my mind to have another look at that clock. By dint of judicious questions I found that it had been carried into the third room, where we soon found it lying on a shelf of the same closet where the hat had been discovered by mr gryce franklin had put it there fearing that the sight of it might affect howard and from the fact that the hands stood as i had left them i gathered that neither he nor any of the family had discovered that it was in running condition assured of this i astonished them by requesting to have it taken down and set up on the table which they had no sooner done than it started to tick just as it had done under my hand a few nights before the girls greatly startled surveyed each other wonderingly why it's going cried caroline who could have wound it marveled isabella hark i cried the clock had begun to strike it gave forth five clear notes well it's a mystery isabella exclaimed Then, seeing no astonishment in my face, she added, "'Did you know about this, Miss Butterworth?' "'My dear girls,' I hasten to say, "'with all the impressiveness characteristic of me in my more serious moments, "'I do not expect you to ask me for any information I do not volunteer. "'This is hard, I know, but some day I will be perfectly frank with you. "'Are you willing to accept my aid on these terms?' oh yes they gasped but they looked not a little disappointed and now said i leave the clock where it is and when your brother comes home show it to him and say that having the curiosity to examine it you were surprised to find it going and that you had left it there for him to see he will be surprised also and as a consequence will question first you and then the police to find out who wound it if they acknowledge having done it you must notify me at once for that's what i want to know do you understand caroline and isabella do you feel that you can go through all this without dropping a word concerning me and my interest in this matter of course they answered yes and of course it was with so much effusiveness that i was obliged to remind them that they must keep check on their enthusiasm and also to suggest that they should not come to my house or send me any notes but simply a blank card signifying no one knows who wound the clock how delightfully mysterious cried isabella and with this girlish exclamation our talk in regard to the clock closed the next object that attracted our attention "'was a paper-covered novel I discovered on a side-table in the same room. "'Whose is this?' I asked. "'Not mine. Not mine. "'Yet it was published this summer,' I remarked. "'They stared at me astonished, and Isabella caught up the book. "'It was one of those summer publications intended mainly for railroad distribution, "'and while neither ragged nor soiled bore evidence of having been read.' let me take it said i isabella at once passed it into my hands does your brother smoke i asked which brother either of them franklin sometimes but howard never it disagrees with him i believe there is a faint odor of tobacco about these pages can it have been brought here by franklin oh no he never reads novels not such novels as this at all events He loses a lot of pleasure, we think. I turned the pages over. The latter ones were so fresh I could almost put my finger on the spot where the reader had left off. Feeling like a bloodhound who had just run upon a trail, I returned the book to Caroline with the injunction to put it away, adding, as I saw her, air of hesitation, If your brother Franklin misses it, it will show that he brought it here, and then I shall have no further interest in it which seemed to satisfy her for she put it away at once on a high shelf perceiving nothing else in these rooms of a suggestive character i led the way into the hall there i had a new idea which of you was the first to go through the rooms upstairs i inquired both of us answered isabella we came together why do you ask miss butterworth i was wondering if you found everything in order there we did not notice anything wrong did we caroline do you think that the the person who committed that awful crime went upstairs i couldn't sleep a wink if i thought so nor i caroline put in oh don't say that he went upstairs miss butterworth i do not know it i rejoined but you asked and i ask again wasn't there some little thing out of its usual place i was up in your front chamber after water for a minute but i didn't touch anything but a mug we missed the mug but oh caroline the pincushion do you suppose miss butterworth means the pincushion i started did she refer to the one i had picked up from the floor and placed on a side table what about the pincushion i asked oh nothing but we did not know what to make of its being on the table you see we had a little pin cushion shaped like a tomato which always hung at the side of our bureau it was tied to one of the brackets and was never taken off caroline having a fancy for it because it kept her favorite black pins out of the reach of the neighbor's children when they came here well this cushion this sacred cushion which none of us dared touch was found by us on a little table by the door with the ribbon hanging from it by which it had been tied to the bureau. Some one had pulled it off, and very roughly, too, for the ribbon was all ragged and torn. But there is nothing in a little thing like that to interest you, is there, Miss Butterworth? No, said I, not relating my part in the affair, not if our neighbor's children were the marauders. But none of them came in for days before we left. Are there pins in the cushion? when we found it do you mean no i did not remember seeing any but one cannot always trust one's memory but you had left pins in it possibly i don't remember why should i remember such a thing as that i thought to myself i would know whether i left pins on my pincushion or not but every one is not as methodical as i am more is the pity "'Have you anywhere about you a pin like those you keep on that cushion?' "'I inquired of Caroline.' "'She felt at her belt and neck and shook her head. "'I may have upstairs,' she replied. "'Then get me one. "'But before she could start I pulled her back. "'Did either of you sleep in that room last night?' "'No, we were going to,' answered Isabella. "'But afterwards Caroline took a freak to sleep in one of the rooms on the third floor.' She said she wanted to get away from the parlors as far as possible. Then I should like a peep at the one overhead. The wrenching of the pincushion from its place had given me an idea. They looked at me wistfully as they turned to mount the stairs, but I did not enlighten them further. What would an idea be worth shared by them? Their father undoubtedly lay in the back room, for they moved very softly around the head of the stairs, but once in front let their tongues run loose again. I, who cared nothing for their babble when it contained no information, walked slowly about the room and finally stopped before the bed. It had a fresh look, and I at once asked them if it had been lately made up. They assured me that it had not, saying that they always kept their beds spread during their absence, as they did so hate to enter a room disfigured by bare mattresses. I could have read them a lecture on the niceties of housekeeping, but I refrained. Instead of that, I pointed to a little dent in the smooth surface of the bed nearest the door. Did either of you two make that? I asked. They shook their heads in amazement what is there in that began caroline but i motioned her to bring me the little cushion which she no sooner did than i laid it in the little dent which it fitted to a nicety you wonderful old thing exclaimed caroline however did you think but i stopped her enthusiasm with a look i may be wonderful but i am not old and it is time they knew it mr grice is old said i and lifting the cushion i placed it on a perfectly smooth portion of the bed now take it up said i when lo a second dent similar to the first you see where that pin-cushion has lain before being placed on the table i remarked and reminding caroline of the pin i wanted i took my leave and returned to my own house leaving behind me two girls as much filled with astonishment As the giddiness of their pates would allow. End of chapter 18. Chapter 19 of That Affair Next Door. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording today by Don Larson in Minnesota. That Affair Next Door by Anna K. Green, Chapter 19, A Decided Step Forward. I felt that I had made an advance. It was a small one, no doubt, but it was an advance. It would not do to rest there, however, or to draw definite conclusions from what I had seen without further facts to guide me. Mrs. Boppert could supply these facts, or so I believed. Accordingly, I decided to visit Mrs. Boppert. Not knowing whether Mr. Grice had thought it best to put a watch over my movements, but taking it for granted that it would be like him to do so, I made a couple of formal calls on the avenue before I started eastward. I had learned Mrs. Boppert's address before leaving home, but I did not ride directly to the tenement where she lived. I chose, instead, to get out at a little fancy store I saw in the neighborhood. It was a curious place i never saw so many or such variety of things in one small spot in my life but i did not waste any time upon this quaint interior but stepped immediately up to the good woman i saw leaning over the counter do you know a mrs boppert who lives at 803 i asked the woman's look was too quick and suspicious for denial but she was about to attempt it when i cut her short by saying i wish to see mrs boppert very much but not in her own rooms i will pay any one well who will assist me to five minutes conversation with her in such a place say as that i see behind the glass door at the end of this very shop the woman startled by so unexpected a proposition drew back a step and was about to shake her head when i laid on the counter before her shall i say how much yes for it was not thrown away a five-dollar bill which she no sooner saw than she gave a gasp of delight will you give me that she cried for answer i pushed it towards her but before her fingers could clutch it i resolutely said mrs boppert must not know there is anybody waiting here to see her or she will not come i have no ill-will towards her and mean her only good but she's a timid sort of person and." I know she's timid broke in the good woman eagerly and she's had enough to make her so what with policemen drumming her up at night and innocent-looking girls and boys luring her into corners to tell them what she saw in that grand house where the murder took place she's grown that feared of her shadow you can hardly get her out after sundown but i think i can get her here and if you mean her no harm why ma'am her fingers were on the bill and charmed with the feel of it, she forgot to finish her sentence. Is there any one in the room back there? I asked, anxious to recall her to herself. No, ma'am, no one at all. I am a poor widder and not used to such company as you, but if you will sit down, I will make myself look more fit and have Mrs. Boppert over here in a minute. And calling to some one of the name of Susie to look after the shop, she led the way towards the glass door I have mentioned. Relieved to find everything working so smoothly, and determined to get the worth of my money out of Mrs. Boppert when I saw her, I followed the woman into the most crowded room I ever entered. The shop was nothing to it. There you could move without hitting anything. Here you could not. There were tables against every wall, and chairs where there were no tables opposite me was a window ledge filled with flowering plants and at my right a grate and mantelpiece covered that is the latter with innumerable small articles which had evidently passed a long and forlorn probation on the shop shelves before being brought in here while i was looking at them and marveling at the small quantity of dust i found the woman herself disappeared behind a stack of boxes for which there was undoubtedly no room in the shop could she have gone for mrs boppert already or had she slipped into another room to hide the money which had come so unexpectedly into her hands i was not long left in doubt for in another moment she returned with a flower bedecked cap on her smooth gray head that transformed her into a figure at once so complacent and so ridiculous That had my nerves not been made of iron, I should certainly have betrayed my amusement. With it, she had also put on her company manner, and what with the smiles she bestowed upon me and her perfect satisfaction with her own appearance, I had all I could do to hold my own and keep her to the matter in hand. Finally, she managed to take in my anxiety and her own duty, and saying that Mrs. Boppert could never refuse a cup of tea offered to send her an invitation to supper as this struck me favorably i nodded at which she cocked her head on one side and insinuatingly whispered and would you pay for the tea ma'am i uttered an indignant no which seemed to surprise her immediately becoming humble again she replied it was no matter that she had tea enough and that the shop would supply cakes and crackers To all of which I responded with a look which awed her so completely that she almost dropped the dishes with which she was endeavoring to set one of the tables. She does so hate to talk about the murder that it will be a perfect godsend to her to drop into good company like this with no prying neighbors about. Shall I set a chair for you, ma'am? I declined the honor, saying that I would remain seated where I was, adding as I saw her about to go let her walk straight in and she will be in the middle of the room before she sees me that will suit her and me too for after she has once seen me she won't be frightened but you are not to listen at the door this i said with great severity for i saw the woman was becoming very curious and having said it i waved her peremptorily away she didn't like it but a thought of the five dollars comforted her casting one final look at the table which was far from uninvitingly set she slipped out and i was left to contemplate the dozen or so photographs that covered the walls i found them so atrocious and their arrangements so distracting to my bump of order which is of a pronounced character that i finally shut my eyes on the whole scene and in this attitude began to piece my thoughts together but before i had proceeded far steps were heard in the shop and the next moment the door flew open and in popped mrs boppert with a face like a peony in full bloom she stopped when she saw me and stared why if it isn't the lady hush shut the door i have something very particular to say to you oh she began looking as if she wanted to back out but i was too quick for her I shut the door myself, and, taking her by the arm, seated her in the corner. "'You don't show much gratitude,' I remarked. I did not know what she had to be grateful to me for, but she had so plainly intimated at our first interview that she regarded me as having done her some favour, that I was disposed to make what use of it I could to gain her confidence. "'I know, ma'am, but if you could see how I've been harried, ma'am, "'It's the murder, and nothing but the murder, all the time. "'And it was to get away from the talk about it that I came here, ma'am. "'And now it's you, I see, and you'll be talking about it, too. "'Or why be in such a place as this, ma'am?' "'And what if I do talk about it? "'You know I'm your friend, or I never would have done you that good turn "'the morning we came upon the poor girl's body.' "'I know, ma'am, and grateful I am for it, too.' But I've never understood it, ma'am. Was it to save me from being blamed by the wicked police, or was it a dream you had and the gentleman had? For I've heard what he said at the inquest, and it's muddled my head until I don't know where I'm standing. What I had said and what the gentleman had said, what did the poor thing mean? As I did not dare to show my ignorance, I merely shook my head. Never mind what caused us to speak as we did as long as we helped you-and we did help you. The police never found out what you had to do with this woman's death, did they? No, ma'am. Oh, no, ma'am. When such a respectable lady as you said that you saw the young lady come into the house in the middle of the night, how was they to disbelieve it? They never asked me if I knew any different. No, said I, almost struck dumb by my success, but letting no hint of my complacency escape me and I did not mean they should. You are a decent woman, Mrs. Bobbert, and should not be troubled. Thank you, ma'am, but how did you know she had come to the house before I left? Did you see her? I hate a lie as I do poison, but I had to exercise all my Christian principles not to tell one then. No, said I, I didn't see her, but I don't always have to use my eyes to know what is going on in my neighbor's houses which is true enough, if it is somewhat humiliating to confess it. "'Oh, ma'am, how smart you are, ma'am! I wish I had some smartness in me, but my husband had all that. He was a man—' "'Oh, what's that?' "'Nothing but the tea-caddy,' I knocked it over with my elbow. "'How I do jump at everything! I'm afraid of my own shadow ever since I saw that poor thing lying under that heap of crockery.' "'I don't wonder!' she must have pulled those things over herself don't you think so ma'am no one went in there to murder her but how came she to have those clothes on she was dressed quite different when i let her in i say it's all a muddle ma'am and it will be a smart man as can explain it or a smart woman i thought did i do wrong ma'am that's what plagues me she begged so hard to come in I didn't know how to shut the door on her. Besides, her name was Van Burnham, or so she told me. Here was a coil. Subduing my surprise, I remarked, If she asked you to let her in, I do not see how you could refuse her. Was it in the morning or late in the afternoon she came? Don't you know, ma'am, I thought you knew all about it from the way you talked? Had I been indiscreet? Could she not bear questioning? eyeing her with some severity, I declared in a less familiar tone than any I had yet used, "'Nobody knows more about it than I do, but I do not know just the hour at which the lady came to the house. But I do not ask you to tell me if you do not want to.' "'Oh, ma'am,' she humbly remonstrated, "'I am sure I am willing to tell you everything. It was in the afternoon while I was doing the front basement floor.' and she came to the basement door? Yes, ma'am, and asked to be let in. Yes, ma'am. Young Mrs. Van Burnham? Yes, ma'am. Dressed in a black and white plaid silk and wearing a hat covered with flowers? Yes, ma'am, or something like that. I know it was very bright and becoming. And why did she come to the basement door, a lady dressed like that? Because she knew I couldn't open the front door, that I hadn't the key oh she talked beautiful ma'am and wasn't proud with me a bit she made me let her stay in the house and when i said it would be dark after a while and that i hadn't done nothing to the rooms upstairs she laughed and said she didn't care that she wasn't afraid of the dark and had just as leave as not stay in the big house alone all night for she had a book did you say anything ma'am no no go on she had a book which she could read till she got sleepy i never thought anything would happen to her of course not why should you and so you let her into the house and left her there when you went out of it well i don't wonder you were shocked to see her lying dead on the floor next morning awful ma'am i was afraid they would blame me for what had happened but i didn't do nothing to make her die i only let her stay in the house "'Do you think they will do anything to me if they know it?' "'No,' said I, trying to understand this woman's ignorant fears. "'They don't punish such things. "'More is the pity, this in confidence to myself. "'How could you know that a piece of furniture would fall on her before morning? "'Did you lock her in when you left the house?' "'Yes, ma'am. She told me to.' "'Then she was a prisoner.' confounded by the mystery of the whole affair i sat so still the woman looked up in wonder and i saw i had better continue my questions what reason did she give for wanting to stay in the house all night what reason ma'am i don't know something about her having to be there when mr van Burnham came home i didn't make it out and i didn't try to i was too busy wondering what she would have to eat And what did she have? I don't know, ma'am. She said she had something, but I didn't see it. Perhaps you were blinded by the money she gave you. She gave you some, of course. Oh, not much, ma'am, not much. And I wouldn't have taken a cent if it had not seemed to make her so happy to give it. The pretty, pretty thing. A real lady, whatever they say about her. And happy? You said she was happy, cheerful looking, and pretty? "'Oh, yes, ma'am. She didn't know what was going to happen. "'I even heard her sing after she went upstairs. "'I wished that my ears had been attending to their duty that day, "'and I might have heard her sing, too. "'But the walls between my house and that of the Van Burnhams are very thick, "'as I have had occasion to observe more than once. "'Then she went upstairs before you left?' "'To be sure, ma'am. What would she do in the kitchen?' and you didn't see her again no ma'am but i heard her walking around in the parlors you mean yes ma'am in the parlors you did not go up yourself no ma'am i had enough to do below didn't you go up when you went away no ma'am i didn't like to when did you go at five ma'am i always go at five how did you know it was five The kitchen clock told me I wound it, ma'am, and set it when the whistles blew at twelve. Was that the only clock you wound? Only clock? Do you think I'd be going around the house winding any others?" Her face showed such surprise, and her eyes met mine so frankly that I was convinced she spoke the truth. Gratified, I don't know why, I bestowed upon her my first smile which seemed to affect her, for her face softened, and she looked at me quite eagerly for a minute before she said, You don't think so very bad of me, do you, ma'am? But I had been struck by a thought which made me for the moment oblivious to her question. She had wound the clock in the kitchen for her own uses, and why may not the lady above have wound the one in the parlour for hers? Filled with this startling idea, I remarked, The young lady wore a watch, of course, but the suggestion passed unheeded. Mrs. Boppert was as much absorbed in her own thoughts as I was. Did young Mrs. Van Burnham wear a watch? I persisted. Mrs. Boppert's face remained blank. Provoked at her impassibility, I shook her with an angry hand imperatively demanding, What are you thinking of? Why don't you answer my questions? She was herself again in an instant. "'Oh, ma'am, I beg your pardon. I was wondering if you meant the parlor-clock.' I calmed myself, looking severe to hide my more than eager interest, and sharply cried, "'Of course I mean the parlor-clock. Did you wind it?' "'Oh, no, no, no. I would just as soon think of touching gold or silver. But the young lady did, I'm sure, ma'am, for i heard it strike when she was setting of it ah if my nature had not been an undemonstrative one and if i had not been bred to a strong sense of social distinctions i might have betrayed my satisfaction at this announcement in a way that would have made this homely german woman start as it was i sat stock still and even made her think i had not heard her venturing to rouse me a bit she spoke again after a minute's silence she might have been lonely you know ma'am and the ticking of a clock is such company yes i answered with more than my accustomed vivacity for she jumped as if i had struck her you have hit the nail on the head mrs boppert and are a much smarter woman than i thought but when did she wind the clock At five o'clock, ma'am, just before I left the house. Oh, and did she know you were going? I think so, ma'am, for I called up just before I put on my bonnet that it was five o'clock and that I was going. Oh, did you, and did she answer back? Yes, ma'am. I heard her step in the hall and then her voice. She asked if I was sure it was five, and I told her yes, because I had set the kitchen clock at twelve. She didn't say any more, but just after that I heard the parlor-clock begin to strike. "'Oh,' thought I, "'what cannot be got out of the most stupid and unwilling witness by patience and a judicious use of questions, "'to know that this clock was started after five o'clock, "'that is, after the hour at which the hands pointed when it fell, and that it was set correctly in starting and so would give indisputable testimony of the hour when the shelves fell were points of greatest importance i was so pleased i gave the woman another smile instantly she cried but you won't say anything about it will you ma'am they might make me pay for all the things that were broke my smile this time was not one of encouragement simply but it might have been anything for all the effect it had on her the intricacies of the affair had disturbed her poor brain again and all her powers of mind were given up to lament oh she bemoaned i wish i had never seen her my head wouldn't ache so with the muddle of it why ma'am her husband said he came to the house at midnight with his wife how could he when she was inside of it all the time but then perhaps he said that just as you did to save me blame but why should a gentleman like him do that it isn't worth while for you to bother your head about it i expostulated it is enough that my head aches over it i don't suppose she understood me or tried to her wits had been sorely tried and my rather severe questioning had not tended to clear them At all events she went on in another moment as if I had not spoken. But what became of her pretty dress? I was never so astonished in my life as when I saw that dark skirt on her. She might have left her fine gown upstairs, I ventured, not wishing to go into the niceties of evidence with this woman. So she might, so she might, and that may have been her petticoat we saw, but in another moment she saw the impossibility of this for she added but i saw her petticoat and it was a brown silk one she showed it when she lifted her skirt to get at her purse i don't understand it ma'am as her face by this time was almost purple i thought it a mercy to close the interview so i uttered some few words of a soothing and encouraging nature and then seeing that something more tangible was necessary to restore her to any proper condition of spirits, I took out my pocket-book and bestowed on her some of my loose silver. This was something she could understand. She brightened immediately, and before she was well through her expressions of delight, I had quitted the room and in a few minutes later the shop. I hope the two women had their cup of tea after that. End of chapter 19 Chapter 20 Miss Butterworth's Theory I was so excited when I entered my carriage that I rode all the way home with my bonnet askew and never knew it. When I reached my room and saw myself in the glass I was shocked and stole a glance at Lena who was setting out my little tea-table to see if she noticed what a ridiculous figure I cut. But she is discretion itself, and for a girl with two undeniable dimples in her cheeks, smiled seldom, at least when I am looking at her. She was not smiling now, and though, for the reason given above, this was not as comforting as it may appear, I chose not to worry myself any longer about such a trifle when I had matters of so much more importance on my mind. Taking off my bonnet, whose rakish appearance had given me such a shock, I sat down, and for half an hour neither moved nor spoke. I was thinking. A theory which had faintly suggested itself to me at the inquest was taking on a body with these later developments. Two hats had been found on the scene of the tragedy, and two pairs of gloves, and now I learned that there had been two women there, the one of whom Mrs. Boppert had locked into the house on leaving it, and the one whom I had seen enter at midnight with Mr. Van Burnham. Which of the two had perished? We had been led to think, and Mr. Van Burnham had himself acknowledged, that it was his wife, but his wife had been dressed quite differently from the murdered woman, and was, as I soon began to see, much more likely to have been the assassin than the victim. Would you like to know my reasons for this extraordinary statement? if so they are these i had always seen a woman's hand in this work but having no reason to believe in the presence of any other woman on the scene of the crime than the victim i had put this suspicion aside as untenable but now that i had found the second woman i returned to it but how connect her with the murder it seemed easy enough to do so if this other woman was her rival we have heard of no rival but she may have known of one and this knowledge may have been at the bottom of her disagreement with her husband and the half-crazed determination she evinced to win the family over to her side let us say then that the second woman was mrs van Burnham's rival that he brought her there not knowing that his wife had effected an entrance into the house brought her there after an afternoon spent at the hotel d during which he had furnished her with a new outfit of a less pronounced type perhaps than that she had previously worn the use of the two carriages and the care they took to throw suspicion off their track may have been part of a scheme of future elopement for i had no idea they meant to remain in mr van Burnham's house for what purpose then did they go there to meet mrs van Burnham and kill her that their way might be clearer for flight No, I had rather think that they went to the house without a thought of whom they would encounter, and that only after they had entered the parlors did he realize that the two women he least wished to see together had been brought by his folly face to face. The presence in the third room of Mrs. Van Burnham's hat gloves and novel seemed to argue that she had spent the evening in reading by the dining room table, but whether this was so or not, The stopping of a carriage in front, and the opening of the door by an accustomed hand, undoubtedly assured her that either the old gentleman or some other member of the family had unexpectedly arrived. She was, therefore, in or near the parlor door when they entered, and the shock of meeting her hated rival in company with her husband, under the very roof where she had hoped to lay the foundations of her future happiness must have been great, if not maddening. Accusations, recriminations even, did not satisfy her. She wanted to kill, but she had no weapon. Suddenly her eyes fell on the hat-pin, which her more self-possessed rival had drawn from her hat, possibly before their encounter, and she conceived a plan which seemed to promise her the very revenge she sought, how she carried it out, by what means she was enabled to approach her victim and inflict with such certainty the fatal stab which laid her enemy at her feet can be left to the imagination but that she a woman and not howard a man drove this woman's weapon into her stranger's spine i will yet prove or lose all faith in my own intuitions but if this theory is true how about the shelves that fell at daybreak and how about her escape from the house without detection a little thought will explain all that the man horrified no doubt at the result of his imprudence and execrating the crime to which it had led left the house almost immediately but the woman remained there possibly because she had fainted possibly because he would have nothing to do with her and coming to herself saw her victim's face staring up at her with an accusing beauty she found it impossible to meet what should she do to escape it where should she go she hated it so she could have trampled on it but she restrained her passions till daybreak when in one wild burst of fury and hatred she drew down the cabinet upon it and then fled the scene of horror she herself had caused THIS WAS AT FIVE, OR TO BE EXACT, THREE MINUTES BEFORE THAT HOUR, AS SHOWN BY THE CLOCK SHE HAD CARELESSLY SET IN HER LIGHTER MOMENTS. SHE ESCAPED BY THE FRONT DOOR WHICH HER HUSBAND HAD mercifully foreborne TO LOCK, AND SHE HAD NOT BEEN DISCOVERED BY THE POLICE, BECAUSE HER APPEARANCE DID NOT TALLY WITH THE DESCRIPTION WHICH HAD BEEN GIVEN THEM. HOW DID I KNOW THIS? Remember the discoveries I had made in Miss Van Burnham's room and allow them to assist you in understanding my conclusions. Someone had gone into that room, someone who wanted pins, and keeping this fact before my eyes, I saw through the motive and the actions of the escaping woman. She had on a dress separated at the waist, and finding, perhaps, a spot of blood on the skirt, she conceived the plan of covering it with her petticoat which was also of silk and undoubtedly as well made as many women's dresses but the skirt of the gown was longer than the petticoat and she was obliged to pin it up having no pins herself and finding none on the parlor floor she went upstairs to get some the door at the head of the stairs was locked but the front room was open so she entered there groping her way to the bureau for the place was very dark she found a pincushion hanging from a bracket feeling it to be full of pins and knowing that she could see nothing where she was she tore it away and carried it towards the door here there was some light from the skylight over the stairs so setting the cushion down on the bed she pinned up the skirt of her gown when this was done she started away brushing the cushion off the bed in her excitement and fearing to be traced by her many-coloured hat or having no courage remaining for facing again the horror in the parlour she slid out without one and went god knows whither in her terror and remorse so much for my theory now for the facts standing in the way of its complete acceptance there were two: the scar on the ankle of the dead girl which was a peculiarity of louise van Burnham and the mark of the rings on her fingers but who had identified the scar her husband no one else and if the other woman had by some strange freak of chance a scar also on her left foot then the otherwise unaccountable apathy he had shown at being told of this distinctive mark as well as his temerity in afterwards taking it as a basis for his false identification becomes equally consistent and natural and as for the marks of the rings it would be strange if such a woman did not wear rings and plenty of them howard's conduct under examination and the contradiction between his first assertions and those that followed all became clear in the light of this new theory he had seen his wife kill a defenceless woman before his eyes and whether influenced by his old affection for her or by his pride in her good name he could not but be anxious to conceal her guilt even at the cost of his own truthfulness as long then as circumstances permitted he persevered his indifferent attitude and denied that the dead woman was his wife but when driven to the wall by the indisputable proof Which was brought forth of his wife having been in the place of the murder, he saw, or thought he did, that a continued denial on his part of Louise Van Burnham being the victim might lead sooner or later to the suspicion of her being the murderer, and, influenced by this fear, took the sudden resolution of profiting by all the points which the two women had in common by acknowledging what everybody had expected him to acknowledge from the first that the woman at the morgue was his wife this would exonerate her rid him of any apprehension he may have entertained of her ever returning to be a disgrace to him and would and perhaps this thought influenced him most for who can understand such men or the passions that sway them ensure the object of his late devotion a decent burial in a christian cemetery to be sure the risk he ran was great but the emergency was great and he may not have stopped to count the cost at all events the fact is certain that he perjured himself when he said that it was his wife he brought to the house from the hotel d and if he perjured himself in this regard he probably perjured himself in others and his testimony is not at all to be relied upon convinced though i was in my own mind THAT I HAD STRUCK A TRUTH WHICH WOULD BEAR THE CLOSEST INVESTIGATION, I WAS NOT SATISFIED TO ACT UPON IT TILL I HAD PUT IT TO THE TEST. THE MEANS I TOOK TO DO THIS WERE DARING, AND QUITE IN KEEPING WITH THE WHOLE DESPERATE AFFAIR. THEY PROMISED, HOWEVER, A RESULT IMPORTANT ENOUGH TO MAKE MR. GRYCE BLUSH FOR THE DISDAIN WITH WHICH HE HAD MET MY THREATS OF INTERFERENCE. End OF CHAPTER TWENTY